0: Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and OrthoEvidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery.
1: Well, it is uh, very early in the morning for one of our guests out on the West Coast, uh, and uh, as as we usually start these uh, broadcasts or podcasts, we need some coffee, and I think uh, Dr. Shields definitely needs some coffee, so I've got my uh, Ortho Joe mug. Usually, Dr. Bondari has his. Maybe he doesn't have it. So uh, I, uh, may, I wish be, I had
2: it. I need one, and I'm going to yeah. grab one right afterwards. I promise you that.
1: <laughs> okay, but one of the great things about being a guest on this podcast, uh, Dr. Shields, Dr. Boyd, is you're going to get one of these great uh, travel mugs. Uh, they'll send, Christina and Carl and their team will send one to you. So they're actually pretty good. So anyway, uh, good morning uh, to everyone. Uh, and we have a couple of guests, uh, a very important uh, Ortho Joe podcast on some, some real trailblazers in the, in the area of professional sports. And I will introduce them and then we're just gonna dig into it. So we have Dr. Clarence Shields, who um, is a graduate, I learned, of Loyola High School in Los Angeles. So a West Coast person to this day, Creighton Medical School, an intern at UCLA, and then got smart and went across town to USC. <laughs> which has always had the better football program, in my humble opinion, as a USC medical school grad. Uh, Dr. Shields did the and job Fellowship and has stayed on, and he's been now on the faculty of the Charles Drew School of Medicine at USC. And uh, in 2006, Dr. Shields was named Mr. Sports Medicine by the AOSSM, which is uh, quite an honor. And uh, he's the founder of Team Heal, which I hope we can get into uh, Dr. Shields just exactly what that uh, does for the community. Uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Shields, of course, was the, uh, the first uh, African-American team physician in the National Football League, uh, a trailblazing uh, position. And we'll be talking about that. And then we have uh, my partner, Dr. Joel Boyd, uh, who is a native of Washington, DC a Bucknell running back of some uh, uh, fame. I I understand he's pretty good. Temple Medical School, uh, residency at the Cleveland Clinic, then was a fellow at uh, Western Ontario with Pete Fowler, uh, a real giant in sports medicine. And then uh, we were fortunate enough to get Dr. Boyd to move to Minnesota. And I have been a friend and colleague and partner of Dr. Boyd's uh, since I came here in 1997. And uh, Dr. Boyd uh, is a trailblazer as the first African-American team physician in the NHL. So these two gentlemen have some experiences that I hope they will be willing to share uh, with our audience. How do people uh, follow in your footsteps I think is really the topic at hand. So uh, Mo, do you have a question to start out uh, for our
2: esteemed guests here? Sure, and first of all, uh, welcome both uh, to you. And certainly uh, you know when I think about uh, what you've done uh, primarily, I, I guess I have a question for both of you, Dr. Shields, Dr. Boyd, maybe you can reflect on this uh, separately. and I suspect your answers may be you know, maybe similar, but they may have you know, different nuances. Do you think things have dramatically changed with respect to diversity? Uh, in the roles that we all play uh, within orthopedic surgery. And maybe you could reflect a little bit about how it is that you came to have the roles you did, when you did, and has that made it easier for those who look to follow in your footsteps to do so? so I'll let you go first.
3: (laughs) Okay, well, I think uh, things have changed a little bit, but sometimes when you reflect on it, there really are not as many people following in my footsteps as I would have thought would have happened since I started. There are less orthopedic residents in training on the West Coast than there were when I was a resident, which is not a good thing. And if you start from that scenario, moving forward, you can understand why things haven't changed a lot. You know, we have a lot of things that have changed outside of orthopedics. But it's still very, very difficult for people to get into the shoes that I was lucky enough to have on my feet. I think for my career, it had to happen with uh, my two partners, uh, Frank Job and Bob Curlin. They taught me everything I know. And I was really fortunate in the sense that they were way ahead of their times with thinking about what... Should happen in orthopedics in terms of diversity. And it was quite interesting in the sense that when I started with the group, we had three teams to take care of. I was the third person, and Dr. Curlin had severe arthritis and was never able to do surgery. So I automatically became the surgeon for the team. I also had two really great mentors. Because coming out of residency, you don't really know how to take care of professional teams. So I always had a coach right with me at all times. And in the beginning, Dr. Job would sort of coach me through how do you make a decision for this player's career? And that's always stuck with me about we're doing things for their future, not for next week. And if you use that as your sort of the the benchmark, most often, you're going to make the right decisions. Sometimes it doesn't work with management. And I know Joel's had to deal with the same thing too. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, a lot of things in my career have been about timing. And I happen to be at the right place at the right time. But I was hoping I could have opened the door for more people, but it hasn't really come to fruition.
2: From your perspective, uh, Joel, is it similar for you or have you seen a slightly different uh, view around the opportunities um, for African-Americans, let's say specifically, but also just generally for individuals looking to do what you've done?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think my experience has been somewhat similar. I mean, I think that we all have uh, mentors or uh, people who help us along the way. And certainly for me, um, those uh, mentors were people like Dr. John Bergfeld. Uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, Uh, certainly uh, Dr. Fowler and my senior partner, now retired, Dr. David Fisher, who was the team physician with the Vikings for 26 years. Um, They all certainly had a hand to play in getting me to to where I am. I think that, as Dr. Shields mentioned, it's difficult uh, because there's not a whole lot of people in the pipeline, so to speak. Uh, So when you not only talk about residents, Um, uh, And and actually in the last couple of years, the number of minority residents has gone up, but really the stop gap is at uh, fellowship Uh, because to get into a job like a team physician, I mean, you have to be fellowship trained. And and that is an area where the numbers really drop off significantly. So we don't have a lot of uh, people of color coming out of fellowship programs. Uh, and, and then even when they do, that doesn't necessarily mean they all want to be team physicians. Some of them want to be academicians and some of them want to do, uh, other things outside of, uh, being a team physician. So, so your numbers get thin fairly quickly. And, uh, so I think that's a, a, a big problem in trying to figure out how do we balance or how do we increase that number to some degree? I think we've seen it with uh, women, uh, you know, as I think the overall numbers in orthopedics is uh, about six percent uh, women, which is not a, a big number; it's relatively small. But when you compare that to uh, minorities, which are at, at like one you know, five percent, that's even more uh, of an issue. So, uh, I think we do have a situation where we, you know, it'd be great to get more people into the pipeline, more people fellowship trained and then uh, give them a chance uh, to pursue careers like uh, Clarence and I have had a chance to do. Uh, Joel,
1: I know you've had some ideas about how to improve the numbers of people of color going into sports fellowships. Can you just uh, tell our audience kind of what your thoughts are in this uh, area?
0: Hmm. Well, at this point, yes, there are uh, certainly different ways of of trying to get that done. I mean, I, I think that fellowship programs, unfortunately, it's easy to say, you know, we, we'd all like to increase diversity in, in fellowship programs. Uh, we have a program uh, even at uh, trio Orthopedic Center in the University of Minnesota, and uh, we'd like to increase its diversity as well. We've trained certainly more women than we have uh, of color, but the the difficult part is that it's the application process in terms of getting people to apply as well. And so we have to actually make the effort. Uh, you have if you're really serious about trying to increase diversity in almost every organization, um, not just medicine. You have to kind of go where the people are uh, and encourage them to at least apply. And uh, and then uh, when they do apply, you also then have to look at your process uh, to see if it's balanced um, and uh, as, as unbiased as possible, but um, try and recreate certainly what, the norms are in the population, for example, uh, to try and increase diversity throughout. How
1: about on the fellowship side, though, Joel? Uh...
0: So, so with our fellowship program, um, you know, as I mentioned, trying to go uh, places like Howard University and some other uh, medical schools where there's a large diverse population to try and encourage them to apply. That's the, that's the first thing, and um, and. Also, uh, there are avenues where you can get fellows come on to programs that are research fellows, for example, that may start off as a research fellow for a year and then move into the uh, regular program. And so trying to uh, encourage them through those two mechanisms. The NFL actually now is interested also in trying to increase uh, the number of minority physicians uh, within the league. And so we're all looking at ways of trying to get that done, whether it's through the sponsorship programs to help, again, get students and fellows in a position where they can get the training they need to move into the uh, professional sports.
2: I wonder, Dr. Shields, if you could also um, you know speak a little bit to what Dr. Boyce just talked about. So it it's very clear from both of you that we're not just seeing a number of, you know, like the persons of color entering into orthopedics is a relatively small fraction. And then even a smaller fraction are probably entering the, the, the subspecialty areas and the fellowship areas. Are there any other barriers though that you're that you can identify? that would be barriers that we need to overcome if we want to see more uh, minority groups, people of color, uh, African-Americans entering into sports medicine and specifically into the areas uh, that you both have led?
3: Well, I think Joel has a very good approach to thinking about how to handle the problem. You need to recruit people. So I think it's upon the program directors to be more, um, I would say proactive in recruiting. Um, Because if you automatically don't go to the place where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, it's never going to happen. Uh, Because people, um, I've mentored a couple of residents who were looking at programs and just orthopedic residencies. And they would do a site visit virtually now, which we have to do. But you get the feeling from these two individuals that some of the places they went to really were just doing a very cursory look at them. Never really had a feeling they were wanted to apply. So I think that it's really on the program directors of the fellowships to look at how do we recruit people rather than, well, they never applied. You've gotta be proactive.
2: Yeah, you know, and I can also bike on a personal anecdote. And I wonder if this resonates at all with you or some of the members you've interacted with is sometimes in our situation as, as a person of color, in my own situation, when I take on a role, I do have to now in the climate we're in, take a little bit of a thought to say, you know, do they want me because of me, or do they want me because they're looking for some sort of broader diversity, diversity optics? And I wonder if that also, in and of itself, has become a bit of a, a challenge for some of us who are, you know, wondering about uh, merit over other, uh, you know, important issues. Not saying that, uh, you know, equity isn't an important issue; it's a very important issue. But from our perspective, you know, it's hard not to sometimes think that we are part of a larger plan that is less to do about us and more to do about a larger, you know, optic. I wonder if you have had any of that feedback.
3: Yes, I have. For the two individuals that I uh, had mentored, they are now first year residents or second year really now, but they experienced that. uh, It was part of a bigger picture. It really wasn't about them. And they never really felt like they really want me here. Uh, And then if you talk to, the other residents, there's nobody that looks like you. Mm-hmm. So automatically, a yellow light goes off. Do I really want to be the first one in this program when everybody I've met doesn't look like me? And if you go to another place where there are faculty that look like you, you it sort of drops the Alarm systems, I guess, would be the right way to say it, because you'll say, well, look, at least if I have difficulty, there's somebody I can go to. Here, I'm the Lone Ranger. And and if things don't go well, maybe I made the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And so people are really thinking more about, am I really wanted or is it a a situation where they need a certain number of people that look like me? And, And so you're absolutely right about that. And that was two years ago, so I don't believe it's changed very much. Uh, much, much like
0: uh, Dr. Shields, I think you know when we look at people that were allies for us, we had a lot more in common than what seemed to be on the surface. And so I think that was one of the key things you were able to move past. You know, this just being, well, we want to increase our diversity here. Uh, when I went to the Cleveland Clinic, for example. You know, uh, John Bergfeld. Uh, you know, who I, I consider almost like a, a, a parent, um, took an interest. But what most people didn't know was that John Bergfeld was also a graduate of Bucknell University. He also played football at Bucknell University. He also went to Temple Medical School, which is where I went. And So we had a lot of commonality beyond anything else, and so. You know, for him, you know, we, it was sort of bringing on someone, which in most programs you do, right? You you hire people that are like you. And, and then it's like, then it's people that like, you can train. So, um, and when they're not like you and they're different, then it, it makes it a little bit harder. So, um, but we had so much commonality among that and some other things that it, I think it just made it easier for him to obviously be an ally, but, you know, and not actually see it as sort of, you know, well, we wanna also increase our diversity at the same time.
1: So I imagine there are some listening to this or watching this that, that are gonna have the question of both of you is the reception of the athletes when they'd never seen uh, a physician or orthopedic surgeon who looked like you. So you're in two two very different sports. One, you know, considerably, <laughs> A rarity, an African American hockey player, and the other where it's quite common to have an African American football player. But maybe you could both uh, discuss a little bit your experiences of the reception of the athletes, Dr. Shields.
3: Well, I would say that I obviously there are more people who look like me playing football, so (laughs) it was pretty easy for me. I never really had a a major uh, hurdle with the players. Um, I think. It was a combination of, of things. Number one, um, our group was taking care of other professional athletes in Los Angeles. So they already had been familiar with Frank and Bob. Mm-hmm. So me being a junior, it really wasn't as dramatic because if I needed to, I would have them get a second opinion from either one of my two partners who were legends in their own time. And it was a lot easier, almost like we were talking about with Joel having had uh, so much in common with John Bergfield. Mm-hmm. Well, I was the third person from USC's orthopedic program. So <laughs> the mm-hmm. two senior guys were both from uh, LA County slash USC. So we had a lot in common. And, and as I think about it, uh, Frank was the only left-handed surgeon I had ever met in my whole career. So I had a lot in common with him. But I think uh, you probably don't have a good answer for that other than the fact that sometimes it's a combination of you being in the right place, but also being able to carry that extra burden that sometimes you would get a maybe a question mark. Is he too young to do my surgery? Mm, right. Those kind of things came up. But certainly uh, it really wasn't after you have a track record and I, you start to draw people from other football teams and the word spreads. And you still get that going on now, 20 some years later, which is hard to believe. But I think uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Mo, that this is um, evolving. But again, it's very difficult to pinpoint any one thing everybody wants it to be better but how do you fix it in in la we have a tremendous problem called homelessness and none of the politicians have a clue about how to fix it the latest thing now is maybe the homeless people ought to be in charge of how the money gets spent and so that's not as far-fetched as you think because we've all ended up money but nothing has changed has gotten worse. And so I think some of these things are uh, very, very multifactorial that you can't put a, a sign on it. How do I make this better? We all have our different ideas. And what do you think, Joel? Well, I think,
0: you know, to, to, as, as Mark said, you know, we have very different sports and right. <laughs> entry into the, uh, into the NHL, you know, certainly. You know, one of the stories I tell often is at the very beginning. Uh, I have I had players come up to me and say, you know, you know, Doc, you know, do you, you do you play hockey? And I and I said, no. Uh, I had an opportunity to play a little street hockey when I was in high school, but that was about it. And uh, they said, well, do you know how to skate? And I said, not very well. I certainly can't skate backwards. And they said, well, if you can't skate and you never played, how could you possibly be an NHL doc? And I said, well, they're not asking me to skate. (laughs) (laughs) I said, said, you drive an expensive car and you're not a mechanic. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, What they're asking me to do, I think I'm very, I felt like I was very good at. And, uh, but certainly uh, like Dr. Shields, it takes time. And, and you, uh, again, on, on that side, decision-making side, again, having another mentor and Dr. Fisher helps you develop and get the experience and, and make, uh, good decisions. Uh, and then once you start down that path, uh, then it becomes certainly much easier. Um, now, certainly after 20 years of, 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 of being an NHL team physician, I mean, now I, see, I view them almost like my children. I mean, they're, they're essentially uh, kids in, in the same age as some of my adult children. So um, it, it becomes even easier to, to express yourself as well as uh, to help them make uh, good decisions about what they uh, have to do with their injuries.
1: Hey, Dr. Shields, could you just tell the audience about this Team Heal thing that you started?
3: Sure. Well, it was, it's kind of linked to the Rams. In a sense, the Rams left Los Angeles and moved to St. Louis. So then I had weekends again. So uh, a lot of my contemporaries here in Los Angeles ended up being athletic coaches, and in particular, football. So I decided that why can't we create the situation that the professional athletes have for the underserved community players, which is a full-time athletic trainer, a fully equipped rehab center and a team doctor. So I started with one school and living in Los Angeles, I had a few friends who were in entertainment business and they put on events, uh, jazz concerts for us. So we grew it from one school to five schools. So we have five trainers that work in underserved communities. Also, I wanted to create student trainers, because if you've never experienced a trainer, you don't know what they do. And that evolved into teaching sports medicine classes at each one of the schools. So now we have a cohort of student trainers who some of them have actually gone on and gotten a degree in athletic training. I'm waiting for one to get over to medical school and replace me, but that hasn't quite happened yet. But the whole idea is giving something back to my community with the idea of exposing the students who never knew about other things in medicine. Example, an X-ray technician, MRI tech. And so we have guest speakers in the sports medicine classes to tell them, this is what I do it might be something you may be interested in. And um, last week we had the big high school rivalry in our city between two schools, Prince Sean Dorsey, um, who both have put produced a lot of NFL players. However, the pendulum has shifted from one school to the other now. But the most amazing thing to me was the trainer had graduates come on the sideline while they're in college taking athletic training, to want to help, which was pretty amazing to me because there's still a cohort of students at each one of the two schools. And, but to have the alumni come back and want to help and tell me what they're doing and everything, it was pretty amazing to me. And I said, maybe this is working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Team Heal is pretty enlightening to me in a sense of. I wanted it to grow and it has grown. I also wanted to expose kids to choices in medicine that they never would have known about if they didn't have a sports medicine class because they don't have them in the schools. The private schools do, but not in the, the underserved parts of Los Angeles. So it's been very rewarding to me, Mark, in the sense of I'm seeing some of the fruits starting to grow on a tree and hopefully they'll pollinate more.
1: That's a great contribution. And Joel, if I could impose on you in the last couple of minutes, just to speak about what you uh, and Willie O'Ree are doing in the NHL.
0: Mm. Well, actually, it's really all about Willie, (laughs) (laughs) myself. But uh, Willie O'Ree was the uh, first uh, uh, African-American hockey player uh, in the NHL in 1958, I believe. But I've had an opportunity, actually, through my travels, uh, from the Cleveland Clinic uh, to the University of Western Ontario, and then spending some time in Canada, had a chance to travel to places like Nova Scotia, and then start to understand the history of hockey. And so what that did was it it, it led me to um, the realization and, and, and actually just the fact finding around how hockey started, uh, which uh, the birthplaces in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, and
1: sorry to interrupt, but for any of you listening or, or watching this, there is uh, Dr. Boyd has authored an article on the uh, history of African, uh, African participation in the sport of hockey. So sorry, Joel, but yeah, it's, it's a okay. great article.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and and uh, so that afforded me an opportunity to, to study and understand uh, how uh, African-Americans participated in, in, in uh, uh, the progression of hockey and the sport itself. So without going into a lot of detail, uh, Willie O'Ree finally became the first uh, African-American hockey player, uh, played for the Boston Bruins. Uh, He didn't play a a long time, uh, but uh, he was recently inducted in the Hall of Fame, mostly based on the fact that, number one, he was a trailblazer. They often called him the Jackie Robinson of hockey. But he also brought with him a lot of people who, once they understood and once they heard his story, Uh, did realize that uh, African-Americans have a rich history actually in hockey uh, and uh, have contributed to the sport significantly. Uh, So uh, they, I think uh, he actually, they did a documentary on him on ESPN, by the way, if you want to check out that documentary as well, it's, it's well done about his uh, travel into the hall of fame. uh, uh, And he's continued. uh, I think he's in his 80s now, and uh, he has continued to contribute. Uh, we had the Willie O'Ree uh, program uh, of the NHL, which is uh, hockey is for everyone uh, program. Uh, and he travels around the country, mentoring uh, youth hockey players uh, all over the country. And uh, his energy is is just unbelievable. He's continued to uh, be uh, sort of the 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 mentor and the stalwart about. Uh, getting involved in increasing the diversity
2: of hockey. Yeah, I mean, I I am just struck, Mark, uh, you and I talk about this all the time, right? Going from optics to action. And how can you not uh, be moved by both Dr. Shields, Dr. Boyd, who understand that diversity in some case is about changing the optics and the landscape of our field, Mm. but ultimately nothing really changes without action and really feeling and letting other members of our Diverse communities feel included, and I think both of your initiatives are just, you know, exact examples of how we have a rich history, but more importantly, that history continues to be our modern day future. And if we can work in that way and continue to have leadership such as yours, uh, we're in a good place.
1: Great way to conclude this discussion. We could talk for easily another couple hours with these two trailblazers, uh, uh, very important figures uh, in their respective of fields and sports. And we're grateful uh, our, on behalf of our audience. Thank you for spending the time with us. I'm sure this will be watched and listened to many thousands of times. And uh, look in the mail for your very Elegant. Ortho Joe
3: He already God. has one. That's not fair. <laughs> we'll oh, make God. sure
1: we'll make sure you get yours, Dr. Shields.
2: Okay, great. Uh, all I can say, Dr. Shields, to use the sports analogy, that cup is a game changer. It's yes. a game
1: changer. <laughs> Thanks everybody. With
3: game changers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks everybody. Have a great day.
3: Thank you. Right, okay, so take thank care. you guys.
1: Yep.